Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start, Start saving, saving today. today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Welcome to the Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. There's a story that cannot get lost. It cannot get lost amidst vaccine mandates and the 20th anniversary of September 11 and the start of the NFL season, which consumed so much of the media oxygen over the weekend. It appeared in the Saturday print edition of the New York Times. The dateline is Kabul, Afghanistan, and the lead reads as follows. It was the last known missile fired by the United States in its 20-year war in Afghanistan, and the military called it a righteous strike, a drone attack, after hours of surveillance on August 29 against a vehicle that American officials thought contained an ISIS bomb and posed an imminent threat to troops at Kabul's airport. But a New York Times investigation of video evidence, along with interviews with more than a dozen of the driver's co-workers and family members in Kabul, raises doubts about the U.S. version of events including whether explosives were present in the vehicle, whether the driver had a connection to ISIS, and whether there was a second explosion at the missile that struck the car. The lead author on the piece is Matthew Akins. He joins me from Kabul right now. Matthew, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Can we first talk about the approach of The Times? Because both in the print edition and in the the visual telling of the story, There are amazing resources that you folks committed to this, and thank God you did, because I worry we'd never have known the story without this investigative journalist journalism. So talk to me about the approach. Well, the morning after the strike, I was here in Kabul, and I went to the scene with a photographer, Jim Huellebrook, and we visited the courtyard of this family where the car that had been struck by a Hellfire missile was the wreckage was there there was still human remains there i mean the victims have been torn apart by the blast and spoke to the family and they said you know you just killed seven children here are their photos they're obviously extremely distraught weeping it was a terrible terrible scene so right away it was obvious that some civilians had been killed in the strike so something had gone wrong we published a story that day but wanted to follow up and investigate and the more we looked in the story the more things didn't add up you know this was a guy who worked for a california-based company that did humanitarian work here he had been hoping to flee the taliban and resettle as a refugee in america he had a case he was being sponsored by his office in the states the office was really cooperative as were his co-workers his family um so we got a lot of interviews testimonies were able to piece together his 
day. And the key evidence was really this surveillance camera video that we got from the office, which showed him arriving. It showed him who was in the car. It showed them loading containers that were filled with water. So we actually see them filling water in the containers on the video that may have been mistaken for bombs. Uh, we're not sure, but all of that allowed us to put together this, this investigation. Zamari Amadi. I hope I'm doing right by the pronunciation of the engineer's name. Zemurai, but yeah. Zemurai. Zemurai Amadi. So 43-year-old guy having worked since 2006 as an electrical engineer for Nutrition and Education International, which is a California-based aid group. He was he was the target. But as I understand, Matthew, from your reporting and that of your colleagues, the Reaper and the drone and whomever was the eye in the sky, they didn't know who he was, right? No, they picked him up that day after what they say was an ISIS safe house um, was visited by this car. So they basically saw the car on the drone feed. That's what we were told by U.S. officials and started monitoring what it was doing that day, but what they interpreted as, you know, suspicious movements on behalf of a terrorist organization, you know, to his coworkers and colleagues was just an ordinary day at the office. So we're not exactly sure what the intelligence was that linked him to ISIS, if there was any, if this was a mistake, but the fact of the matter is, is that they didn't know who they were killing when they launched this drone strike and they launched it in a crowded residential area, which is, the reason why they killed seven children, 10, 10 members of his family. Well, that's not only the reason that they killed 10 innocents, it seems, but also this is what most struck me. If all of the facts were the same and if at the end of the day he was approaching the perimeter of the Kabul airport, then it would be more understandable, more justifiable. But he's in the heart of a who who did they think he was about to harm in the midst of a residential area? kilometers removed from U.S. personnel at the Kabul airport. Yeah, the decision making really doesn't add up. It needs to be something that, you know, is investigated here. The military said that they're going to investigate it. So I really hope we do get answers. Um, but the fact of the matter what is that the, the decision making for this kind of strike was delegated to a lower level. You know, there had been an attack against the um, airport a few days earlier, an ISIS suicide bomber. There was a threat from ISIS, no doubt. In fact, there was a there was a rocket attack from ISIS in the same area that his car was the next day. So maybe the wires got crossed there. So there was a threat. And, but the U.S. military, which was in the middle of this very rushed, very chaotic evacuation, had delegated the, the, the trigger pulling authority basically to lower level commanders. So probably didn't get the amount of scrutiny and review that this kind of strike would normally get. Well, you anticipated another of my questions, which was going to be, but I think you've answered it uh, implicitly. Did anybody at the White House have to sign off on this particular strike? We don't know that for sure, but um, my sense is that they, they had signed off on the decision to delegate authority for the strike, or at least the U.S. you know command did. I don't know if someone at the White House did, but there had been a decision to delegate um, you know that to a lower level, according to what we were told. So, Matthew, August 26 was the attack at the Kabul airport that kills 13 Americans and, and I think as many as 170 uh, Afghans. Am I right so far? Correct. 
And then two days later is the first drone strike. That's August 28. I'm still unclear as to whether there were one or two victims in that attack. We were told, although I've not seen the level of specificity that you offer in in the report that we're talking about from the following day, the 29th. What I'm struggling to say is I still don't know who was taken out in the August 28 attack. Do you know? Well, we're told by the U.S. that that was an ISIS commander who had planned the suicide attack against the airport, but it took place in a less accessible area. That's where most of these drone strikes have taken place, right? They take place in areas that that are dangerous to go to, that are remote. And so we really only have the official version of events. And so then the following day, August 29, are the events that you're describing, meaning two days after the attack, at the Kabul airport. What is the, if you know, what is the military saying now, given this extensive reporting by you and your colleagues? They haven't responded to our reporting that came out over this weekend. You know, I think as um, events have evolved, like as they've learned that there have been more civilians killed, they've perhaps walked back some of their certainty and promised to investigate. But you know, it is, a, it is a good question why they were so categorical in the immediate aftermath of the strike. And even last week, we had uh, General Milley saying, you know, that there were secondary explosions that, you know, mean there were probably explosives in the car. So they kind of stuck to their guns, um, you know, even though it was obvious, I think, from the beginning that there were civilians killed in this attack. When you visited the location of the attack, what did you see in terms of evidence of there having been a Reaper drone and or any additional explosions that might have come from things that had been placed in the trunk? Like what what does the evidence on the ground suggest to you? Well, the evidence to me, and I've been, you know, working here for 13 years now, looked like a uh, Hellfire missile strike, you know, a, a smaller explosion. Um, and that's the military said it was a 20 pound uh, missile warhead. And we found fragments of the missile at the site, but there was no evidence of a secondary, you know, larger explosion. So the car was still mostly intact. There was just one crater one dent from a single shockwave in the doors. Um, there were walls close by the car, mud walls that hadn't been collapsed. So immediately upon seeing the strike, it was clear that one, this had happened inside this courtyard of this family's house. And two, that it was a small single explosion. When you look at the surveillance video that I guess was supplied by his employer, it's very clear that he's filling those jugs with water. He he comes out at one point to the vehicle with a hose. He's clutching the hose and the hose is is spraying water. Would that level of detail have been apparent to whomever was at the other end of the eye in the sky? They certainly have the capability to see that level of detail from from a drone. Um, I don't they said that they didn't see him filling water containers. So it's not really clear what they saw, but again, you have to wonder why they, what they saw that was convincing enough for them to take this shot, you know, again, inside a crowded residential area. Would Mr. Ahmadi have known of the presence of a drone tracking him for six plus hours? He would have had no idea. He would have been just going about his day, thinking about how he's going to get home to his kids, how he's going to get them some water. He was thinking, I'm sure, about his resettlement case, how badly he was hoping to go to 
the United States um, and get away from the Taliban. Uh, he was their house was near the western end of the the airport, so they had these, you know, C seventeens flying over them, the evac flights flying over constantly. Right, but it, like one of my sons flies a drone. If I listen, I can I can hear the hum of that drone in our backyard. But this is not the same sort of thing. This is way the hell up in the sky, and a person who's under observation would not know it. Is what you're telling me? You can hear these drones sometimes, uh, depending you know on the conditions and the altitude they're at. But the, 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 right, you have to understand that this was happening in the middle of the evacuation, and there was just all these transport planes roaring you know, taking off and landing. There were helicopter gunships. There was an AC-130. There was a ton of of, of U.S. and other military uh, airplanes in the sky. So there was just constant noise of airplanes. You would not have noted it as an individual drone. Do you know, Matthew, the, the person who ultimately pulls that trigger, are they, are they overseas? Are they, are they at CENTCOM? Are they, you know, in the Utah desert sitting in a, a hangar of some kind? Where are they? Who are they? I, th- I think they could be at any one of those locations. I, I believe that they have um, drone operators, you know, in in the Middle East as well as uh, you know in the in the homeland. But it's a team. That's the other thing is you have to understand that there's a, usually a team of analysts, the drone operator, you know, the commanding officer who are looking at this stuff, and there's usually a kind of joint decision. Well, the decision is made by a commanding officer, but there is a team that is uh, working on these kinds of strikes and surveillance. And I want to be fair to the military in this. You did point out that a day later, a similarly appearing car was taken out in a strike and apparently did have explosives in it. Well, there was a, a similar car that fired off rockets at the airport the next day, and, and it was sort of burned up in that strike. So what they do is they put these rocket tubes into the into the kind of trunk and passenger compartment of a Corolla, and all like all the cars in in uh, Kabul are Corollas, Toyota Corollas for whatever reason. It's kind of a joke that like you know people say be on the lookout for a white Corolla because that could describe every second vehicle on the street. And that's what was, that was, both cars were white Corollas. Um, so they pop the, tr- they drive the car, somebody pop the trunk and they fire off these rockets from the truck and then kind of get out of there. So they did one of those attacks, which was claimed by ISIS the next day. Um, it was definitely a high threat environment. You know, there's no doubt the military was probably looking at like multiple threat, you know, chan- you know, they were, they were, they were tracking a bunch of threats. So that's understandable, and, and maybe, but again, it has to be, well, and maybe yeah, this is my ahead. naivete, but I, I'm thinking to myself, the, the level of sophistication that enables this type of a Reaper drone to to surveil and then to fire, you would think that that there would have been some rudimentary Google search that would have revealed that, hey, this is actually the Nutrition and Educational International's Kabul office. And maybe this guy is a relief worker and that explains where he's driving. One th- sense I do get of the military is that they don't rely on, on that kind of open source uh, information. They have their well, own you do, you, you do, and look look at the results that yes. look at the results that come from the New York Times open source investigation. Which, notwithstanding the private surveillance video, that's what you. I guess what really upsets me the most about this story, and it's a compliment to you and to your colleagues, is that but for you, we'd never know this. 
And it makes me wonder how many similar stories are there that we hear the narrative, we accept the narrative, and we go back to making widgets. Yeah, I think that's an incredibly important point. You know, this strike happened in Kabul. And like I said, I've been doing this for years. This was actually, you know, much easier to investigate than many other incidents because I could go there, you know, I could drive over, I could speak to people, they were accessible. So we were able to do this fairly conclusive investigation in under two weeks, right? Yeah, there's so much that happens that has happened over the years and that we don't know about. And I think it really is just something to keep in mind as we move to this new phase in the war on terror, which is not over. The U.S. war in Afghanistan might be over, but Afghanistan you know, it's still going to be a conflict zone. And if we're going to do these over-the-horizon counterterrorism strikes, which they claim they're going to be able to do, then how are we going to know if incidents like this happen? How are we going to prevent this in the future if we keep taking these kind of drone strikes that are based on, you know, the eye in the sky? Right. And if you don't have boots on the ground, at least in an intelligence capacity, how are you going to be able to, to, to separate and make those determinations? Hey, Terrific job. Thank you so much for allowing us to track you down in Kabul and to talk more about it. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Michael Smirconish for Independent Minds. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.